The Tour is part of the Osiris Podcast Network, connecting you to music, artists, and culture. Hear it all at OsirisPod.com. This episode of The Tour is brought to you by Canova Communications, leaders in creating multi-platform content. Visit CanovaCommunications.com. Every musician has something special that drives them, even if it drives them crazy. I think every sort of artist has this the internal battles, right? One day I think I'm the shit and I'm like, why aren't we doing stadiums? Why is this band that is doing stadiums doing it because they suck? And then the next day I'm like, why are we even allowed into a bar to play? <laughs> like, why does anyone want to listen to us? Hi, and welcome back to the tour. I'm your host, Ted Canova. Nassim Khoury is not afraid to share his battles. He's the lead of Kingsley Flood, which one magazine declared as the next greatest American band that could easily fill stadiums one day. I won't go back to I can attest that Kingsley Flood is one of the great live bands to witness in person. They take you to high highs and low lows, with Khoury on his knees, his back, and even next to you in the crowd. But their live energy matches the depth of music with a theme that speaks to our times. Now how come everybody for the common man never looks quite like me? The battles of those left out and the battles of those stuck in their ways. But I'm still waiting on the river to rise. 2013 was pivotal from their live set at the Newport Folk Festival. She said, all you sinners, all you thieves, this man's gonna bring you to your knees. This town will be down no more. To their album appropriately titled Battles. Tonight I'll dream of where I'll die, where I will laugh, not where I cried when I was born. They followed with Live at the Armory which captured their breathtaking live shows, recorded over two nights in a cozy music studio in Somerville, Massachusetts, with rabid fans standing inches away. Curry is somewhat terrified as to how we consume music, listening to five seconds of a song and then moving on. So in 2015, the group changed it up and released three EPs in one year. Filled with harmonies, energy, and exquisite lyrics. By 2016, Khoury felt he had hit a wall writing about others. So he turned the mirror on his own life with the album Another Other. He dove into his personal story as a Palestinian-American tracing identity, equality, and the complexities of a changing society. He calls their 2018 album Neighbors and Strangers their best yet. With bandmates George Hall, Chris Barrett, Nick Balkin, and Travis Richter, they recorded it in a studio and in their bedrooms. I sat down with Curry at the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, a graduate school at Tufts University where he teaches a course on international negotiation. He talked about overcoming his lack of confidence, his slow rise through coffee houses and open mics, the feeling on stage when Kingsley Flood songs reach absolute chaos, and how even with their success, Corey still deals with imposter syndrome. Nassim, when did you start getting the prowess of writing? I remember actually the first song I wrote. I woke up in the middle of the night in college, just started writing stuff down, and 
woke up the next morning like with this like feeling of euphoria like oh my god I got something down and then you know naturally you go back and you're like this is the biggest piece of garbage I've ever (laughs) ever seen on paper but at that time that was that was the sort of start I got into Springsteen around that point not because of his songs but because I saw him live and then I started diving into the songs and then someone actually told me hey check out this version of Born in the USA which is different than the pump your fist in the air version I was born and I was like, oh shit, this song is about something completely different than I thought of. This is not a patriotic anthem. This is something serious and incredibly vivid. And good lord, this is great writing. And it took me three years, four years to, to write something that I then thought was good enough to share with someone else. Finally met Nick and somehow got the confidence to share stuff with him. And then this gig popped up a classmate of mine was having a gig at the lizard lounge and he was like hey you want to open for me and i was like okay and we first found a drummer named will and then this guy named michael spaley happened to be in the crowd he was like hey i'm just gonna jump up and start playing violin with you and i said violin that's a stupid instrument and little did i know our first record has violin all over it has mandolin all over it and suddenly we're an americana band but that was not part of the plan The plan was for me to sort of channel Tom Waits and make sort of spooky organ music, and that's just not how it landed. I'm not a good singer on that record. You can hear my voice cracking, you can hear it all over the place, and it was the biggest thrill in the world. This is a first record, man. Like, we got to put our stongs on CD. That's amazing. Well, let's talk specifically about putting it down in 2010 with Dust Winds. Another song, Cold the Sack, kind of touches on your upbringing, growing up as a Palestinian-American. I grew up with, I don't know about guilt, but a level of discomfort with privilege. I grew up very aware of the nice town I grew up in, uh, the house I grew up in. And as I said earlier, I just use songs as a way to check that and just keep me in check. I'm often talking about characters, and I'm often talking about pretty naive, dogmatic, stubborn characters i'm fascinated i realize i have like three songs just about dictators and a lot of that is because i'm fascinated with people who are just so stuck in their head and are not willing to admit weakness whether that's um you know your grandfather from the old country or whether it's hosni mubarak One of the things I love about your music and the band is the dynamics, they go way up and they go way down. I've always been attracted to really dynamic music. But Nassim, you do it in a song. I tell people that your music goes from zero to a hundred, back to zero. It's like you are in a plane taking off and there's chaos on that flight. And then it just lands really softly at the end of the song. Cool, cool. You know, this has actually been a problem for us because it doesn't allow listeners to easily put us in a box. It doesn't allow listeners to easily categorize us. Every band rejects the labels people put on. We particularly rejected, like, Americana because to us, Americana bands that we had heard, just cool for a song or two and then nothing changes. It all sounds kind of the same. And we've always wanted to be very dynamic. We wanted high highs and low lows. You had to come to a show or something to really understand what we were going for. 
What does it feel like up on stage when a jam goes out of control? Yeah, I've talked a lot with George, our guitarist, about this. We're always fans of the music that takes you right up to the edge. It doesn't quite fall over, but you're very much teetering on the edge. You're about to fall over. And it's just absolute chaos. You think it's just going to all go to shit. Somehow there's some cohesion to it. Somehow there's something keeping it all together. Are there times on stage where you wonder how you're going to get out of this? I ask some musicians, they go, no, I don't wonder about it because that's the beauty of it. Other musicians say, oh no, I'm the band leader. I know how to get them back. Otherwise, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be a good band leader. I'm the band leader in the sense that I can sort of write the songs and write the skeletons of the songs, but then it goes out to the band and it becomes a different beast. In a live show, if you were to say, like, I'm in control, no way, man. Like, Travis, the drummer, controls the drums. <laughs> I don't know when he's going to stop playing sometimes. I don't know when there's this crazy fill that's going to happen. Second album was just two years later, Colder Still. We wanted to put out an EP because we had these songs. They weren't fully formed as a full album yet. We're just like, oh, screw it, let's just get something out there. I had this song, I Don't Want to Go Home, which I meant to be this sort of thrashy punk sounding song, which ended up sounding like a kind of a pop song. But I was always surprised that people come up to me and be like, my four-year-old loves that song. And I was like, no, it should be a badass punk song. But then now I'm like, okay, fine, we'll take it. And so I think that was just sort of a collection of songs that I had that I'm now excited that I have a band and let's, let's put all these songs to music. They're the ones that are most excited to introduce to the band. That's why you have a lot of variety on that album in particular. And then a very sort of sweet, soft, quiet, quiet ground, which is very much an acoustic-y, folky kind of thing. I wanna be sailing the seas in a cracked bathtub with a shell curtain on the mast. One person we haven't talked about is your violin player, Janae. We were her first band. And talk about chemistry that is on stage. I think she and I clicked. And if you see me flying and screaming, skies won't you with me on back down. That quiet, quiet And then probably my favorite song in the album was House on the Hill, which I dreamed of George. I knew he would be able to do something spooky and amazing on that, and he did, and he totally nailed it. Then all of a sudden you have Chris on the trumpet. Is a lot of it you driving this recipe of inclusion of all of your band members? Sometimes I'll come to the band and I'll say, look, I've got an idea and it's pretty fully baked. I want trumpet to do this. Here's the riff I want, here's that. And then they'll say either fuck off or they'll say, okay, let me try it. Other times I come to the band and I'm like, I just got a shell of an idea. Let's all mess around with it. And those are the real times when I am so psyched about the talent of every person in the band. George, Chris, Travis, Nick, like that's where their talent really shines. Those first five years, you started getting more acclaim. By the end of 2012, you won the Boston Music Award for <laughs> Americana Act, right. even though you mentioned being put in a genre. Yeah. And then in 2013, you went to the Newport Folk Festival. <laughs> That was a dream of mine. I'd always wanted to play Newport. And our goal there was to just sort of bring as much energy as possible. I think our live show was a better reflection of who we thought we were. And so Newport was like, here's who we really are. 
This is the energy. There was so much momentum that happened leading up to battles in 2013. Did you go from a local, I don't want to say bar band, but did you go from a local band with the aspirations to go national right there? We liked being a bar band. We embraced that. I don't think we had any sort of grand plan or there was no sort of like, this will be our national record. That was too sort of bold to say such a crazy thing. You know, that was too sort of ridiculous. Even though you say you were going through questions of what you should be doing at the time? Yeah, sure. Still not confident in, in anything. I sort of operate in that way. Like you're always feeling like it's imposter syndrome, right? You always feel like you're an imposter and therefore you're going to work really hard to try to account for that. I would be remiss not to go deep into this imposter syndrome. <laughs> Is this something where you think you're a fraud and one day they're going to find out you're not that singer-songwriter? I think every sort of artist has this the internal battles, right? One day I think I'm the shit, and I'm like, why aren't we doing stadiums? Why is this band that is doing stadiums doing it because they suck? And then the next day I'm like, why are we even allowed into a bar to play? <laughs> like, why does anyone want to listen to us, right? I think any artist has that sort of yin and yang and that sort of push and pull. Let's talk about some of the music on Battles. Don't Change My Mind starts with an acoustic guitar and an eerie keyboard and then flows into a more mature Nassim voice. Ah, uh, cool. <laughs> you like these reviews, huh? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was getting better as a singer, so yeah, I'm glad that showed. The walls of old Jerusalem built on blood of kings, not men, timeless, intact. You know, it's funny, I look back at the process that we recorded battles and the way we arranged, and it's very different than what we're sort of doing now. Now we've sort of figured it out. Back then it wasn't clear what the arrangements were, and there was always sort of a bit of tension. Which way should the song go? Maybe we needed like 20 takes to get something right. And that was not because the takes were bad, it's because we didn't know what the song called for in the moment. And so I think we were just still a little unclear how to unlock the potential of everyone. How can we make Chris shine as a keyboard player? How do we make George, you know, escape? You have so many songs that to me are iconic and one of them is Waiting on the River to Rise. Yeah, that's the big hit. <laughs> now there's a man in the sky that I don't ride by, but he ain't done right by me. I don't know why that was a big hit. That goes to show, like, you know, we start off making that album and we were like, you know, one song's gonna be a hit and then Sure enough, the one that we had no thought, second thought of, like, people seem to like a lot. Be waiting on the river to rise. One of the things that I know an audience wants to hear is Sigh a While. Led by a compelling music video, you and the bandmates look like zombies holding road flares. The highway lights ain't blinding enough, I've tried. And we almost all died because of those flares. We thought it would be a good idea to stick them under the cars right near the gas tank. You've said that you feel most alive when you're live. And there was nothing like the Live at the Armory album in 2014. A lot of times at that point, people were coming up to us and being like, your live show is not what I hear on the record. And I think the idea was for them, those, those kinds of folks who were saying that stuff, is to give them something on record that was reflective of our live show. 
The best way to do that was with a live album. The Boston Herald once said, Kingsley Flood's live show could thrill Folsom Prison in 1968. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing and a bad thing. It's a bad thing because people who hear the recordings and who have seen the live show feel like they got a little screwed on the studio recording. And it makes a differentiator. It makes you want to come to the live show. It makes you want to see us live and really lay it out on stage. You had an amazing 2015 where you released three EPs with a total of, what, 12 or 13 songs? Yeah, yeah. We started working with Paul Colder, a great producer, and we just realized we had just a ton of songs. And it turned out, instead of making, like, one big album, we're like, you know, let's try to roll it out over time. Let's do three EPs and then end up with one full length. And this was a time where the music industry was just unraveling. So I presume that it was part strategy trying to stay ahead or try to find a way to connect with new listeners? I think that's right. I also think we've sort of all given up on that. I think we're done trying to do something because we think it's a great business move, because we think this is going to be a hit because we think it's going to do well based on how other people receive it. Like, we're kind of done thinking about that. That's only stressful. I think at the time there was that kind of thinking, hey, if we put out three EPs, we'll always be on people's radars, blah, blah, blah. You'll drive yourself crazy that way. And so we're we're sort of not thinking that way anymore. Now we're just like, let's just make good stuff and put it out whenever we want. And, and whatever happens, happens. Because if anything, the Wild West of music right now and the way we consume music and the fact that there is so much of it, there's no path for anything. There's no guarantees on anything. There's no guarantee that says if you tour all the time, you will become a big band. There's no guarantee that says if you, if you have a hit, you'll be a big band, you'll have a career. And so we're not trying to sort of follow any rules at this point. The only rule that we now have is like, be authentic, be yourselves. Do what you like. If you do not like what you are putting out there, you should not put it out there, right? We have to love the music we're making. It certainly kept you in your fans' inbox, releasing three EPs that year. And the Ellie Goulding song, Anything Could Happen, how did that come about? Strip to the waist, we fall into the river. Uh, I think there was a little bit of strategy. Ooh, we gotta do a cover song. Cover your eyes so you don't know the secret. Hey, let's take a real existing cover song and really change it. Anything could happen, anything could. Put your own stamp on it. There's nothing that drives us and me more crazy than when people just do a cover song and it's no different. What's the point? And so we really wanted to make it different. I think we did that. We tried that also with Tom Petty's American Girl. Oh, yeah. Ended up sounding good, but we made it minor. And that was the whole idea. It's like, all right, let's take something and totally mess with it. On Calvary, you said you were trying to write a Randy Newman song. Mama, I remember Sunday dinners you'd stay across the hall. I love Randy Newman. I love Randy Newman's slow songs. Piano-based, really great chorus, really hooky chorus. So won't you call on the Calvary I'm gone? So in 2016, you made this dramatic shift where, by your own admission, you had been writing about other people. Yeah. And then... Another Other challenged you musically, but also personally, by putting your background kind of out front. Yeah, I think it was very much, again, in the spirit of always checking yourself. I had realized that I had developed habits and I had gotten comfortable writing other people's stories. And I was like, well, let's turn that on its head. I gotta write about myself because I'm uncomfortable doing that. Cheers to all my friends as another work weekend. 
Another Other, the title track, was, was very much based on a real situation that I experienced, where like, it was very quickly and dramatically revealed that there was prejudice in a room. On My Mind was me checking myself on saying I'm gonna sort of change the world and never doing anything about it. But that album was a big gut check. And the gut check also dealt with the Palestinian-American sure. part of your life. Had yeah. you lived with the feeling of being an outsider? Yeah, I've always lived with this tension of both being an insider and an outsider because on one hand, I have a funny name. My parents are Palestinian. We very much grew up in that heritage and that legacy. On the other hand, I don't really look that different other Americans, frankly, white people. And so you couldn't embrace either one of those things, right? You're always sort of straddling this. And I think that having a hyphen is is the most American thing you can be, right? We're one of very few countries based on ideas. And isn't that great if you can bring everything to that idea? You can bring all sorts of hyphens. You can bring all sorts of dualities and the gray area to that idea. That's one thing I was sort of trying to get across in that album is sort of being true about that tension and that tension being a really good thing and being a very American thing. But won't you When you talk about the state of the world and get personal in this album, you're not preaching, you're not pointing the finger, you're not telling us how we need to be. You're, you're not even looking for heroes and villains, I don't think. I think you're admitting that there are question marks and that's sorely lacking today. You know, that's my hope, is that maybe other people have the kind of humility that I'm trying to exhibit. Maybe that we're not all just stubborn and naive and so set in our ways. Maybe we can admit the other person across the table actually says something valuable and they're not just evil. They're actually coming from a, a place of goodness and I do wish more people would do a gut check and I'm not gonna preach that. I don't react well when people preach things to me, so I'm not gonna do that. So if people come to that realization on their own, great. And if they don't, I'm not gonna force it down their throats. With everything that's on Another Other, one of the last cuts, suddenly the same. It's just this beautiful electric guitar, beautiful harmony. I do not ask for much. A sudden smile and a prompt touch. Were you trying to get that album just to land in a safe place? So the ripoff for that song was the score to Edward Scissorhands, the Danny Elfman music in that movie is so beautiful with all these chorals, this chorus. I I we didn't think about it in the sense of how it acted in the context of the whole album. We just thought, let's just make a really beautiful song. This year, you just released Neighbors and Strangers. This was a well-oiled machine, the five of us now, because we didn't have Janae, we didn't have Eva anymore. The songs came together easier than anything we'd done before. They just came, they just clicked. I think that's just a function of us playing together for so long. I wrote it all during sort of one period of time. This is not a hodgepodge, and that's why I feel like lyrically the most cohesive thing we've done. And how does it compare to another other where you got personal? Did you then take a step back and write about others once yeah, again? Yeah, I went back to that. <laughs> you know, you write about others and it's about the same. For example, find me out. I'm your wake up midnight sweat, a crying shame and a perfect threat. Is the point of view of someone who is making all these crazy assumptions about these people who don't look like them, who are probably immigrants, who are stealing their jobs. And I 
I have to admit, I've had that thought before. So I'm putting myself in someone else's position and that was a little bit of me at some point too. Even if I don't like it, I hate that character in that song. And I've had that thought, I can't deny that. Nassim, I think on Never Been Home, it's not just the beautiful instrumentals, but you've got a deep, warm voice on this. Thanks. 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 I've heard every one of your songs so many times in my life, but this one, this one really just seemed whole, full. Yeah, I wanted that one to be as intimate as possible. So now you know what I sound like, pillow talk. (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted that to be two inches away from your face. That one hits home. That was a song that I wrote when I was on the road a lot. And in the context of immigrants who are sort of never home, and what is it like to be home? Why is home important? Those are all those questions I want to sort of deal with on that song. You recorded this in a studio, but also in your bedrooms? This album also was different in the sense that we were like, we put so much pressure on ourselves to do three EPs and then the full length. Let's take our time with this. Let's really take our time. This was a case where we were like, we're not going to cram all our time in a recording studio and try to get everything done. We're going to record stuff. We're going to let it sit. We're going to experiment with stuff in our bedrooms. We're going to send tracks to Benny, our producer. We're going to see what he does with it. Then we're going to go back to the studio. Then we're going to go back to our bedrooms, back to the studio. So we went back to the studio like four times over the course of a year. We let ourselves off the hook of having to release something very quickly because radio wants this or blah, blah, blah. We're just going to do this as creative as possible and do our thing. You also said that as much as it sounds like you, it has you experimenting. Is experimenting like in the song Coming Around Again? Yeah, that was the biggest departure from what we've done before. There's drum loops in there. There's drum machines in there. But I wanted like a cool sort of spooky piano part. People now have said like it sounds a little radio heady. And then we just sort of built that thing, literally like a building. We would put layer on top of layer. And it turned out like drum machine made the most sense for this song. The song's still so still. It starts with your signature sound, dreamlike. I wake by the ocean because I wait. Pretty obsessed with this feeling of being stuck somewhere and not being able to get out of it. And again, back to that idea of like, are you living up to your potential? Are you stuck and complacent about something? How'd you come about writing Little Man? Yeah, it's the dictator song again. That's actually about the sort of the people who prop up dictators and why they make sense for these people in the moment. and. And this song sort of posits that there is regret in that decision later on. I won't say that it's about a certain political figure right now, but it's kind of about a certain political figure right now. Not right yet. I think the electric guitar sounds like it's from an old Western movie on that. That was one thing that George did great. This was the song where I had envisioned something and Chris envisioned something totally different, created this horn part. The first time I heard it, I was like, what the hell is that? That is not the vibe of the song, this sucks. And then it was so catchy and so good that I'm like, okay, I guess we'll change the vibe of the song. (laughs) 
You've said you're terrified how we consume music. The way we consume it, we just always want something new, and that means you're not going to give bands a chance to sort of grow. You know, everyone thought that the internet it would give you access to so much stuff that you would automatically consume more stuff. But it turns out the more choices you have, the more you just gravitate to fewer things. It's like cable channels. The more cable channels you have, the more you just watch CNN or Fox or whatever you watch. And the more everything that there is, the less you actually focus on it. And so I think it's, it's similar. There's just too much stuff out there, so I'm gonna just focus on the stuff I know. I feel for every musician who's trying to make it is touring enough? We've now sort of come to the idea that touring by itself will kill us. And again, it does not guarantee anything. We saw too many bands that toured all the time and burnt out. We don't want to burn out. We want to be as creative as possible. We think that this latest album is the best one we've made. We're not just saying that. It feels the most cohesive. It feels like it came together in the best sort of organic way. And it's probably the one that we're receiving the least amount of buzz on because we're not a new band anymore. People don't really pay attention to not new bands that aren't really established. And the fear is you tour too much, you burn out, and then you don't do anything. You have to hit that sweet spot where you tour a little bit to keep your creative juices flowing. But at the end of the day, the second that this stops being fun and that you can't be creative, that's when you die. And so it has to remain a creative endeavor to us. Otherwise, what are we doing? All right, I enjoyed this. Nassim Khoury, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, this was a blast. As you can tell, Khoury doesn't preach his beliefs in song or in person, but he does open a window for a breeze of complexity to enter and for all of us to confront the battles in our own souls. Well, that does it for this episode of The Tour. I hope you liked our conversation. Go ahead and share it with your friends and followers and do me a favor, Write a review in iTunes or wherever you're listening. It'll help more people find us. This episode of The Tour is brought to you by Canova Communications, leaders in creating multi-platform content. Visit canovacommunications.com. Thanks for listening to The Tour. We're part of the Osiris family of podcasts, connecting you with music, artists, and culture. Hear it all at osirispod.com. And for music news, check out our partner, Relics Magazine at relics.com. I'm your host, Ted Canova. Remember, music makes it all better. See you next time. Come out, come out.
anymore. Say this, this, 